All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Mr. Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to Wise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1,507 points or 4.6%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 205 points, or 5%, and the NASDAQ last week was down about 656 points, or 5.5%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 13.6%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 18.2%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 27.5%. So it looks like this past week, taking our next leg lower, after we had spent the last couple trading weeks in the market cha-cha at, uh, I would say, the upper end of the lower range from the last pullback, um, didn't got close to an intraday low on Friday. Still, the intraday low stands at 3810 on the S&P 500. We got down to 3900 on Friday. Um, but it looks like the way that the market is reacting, particularly to the CPI that came out on Friday, and as we said on last weekend's show, no fun, and what is it, no fun until the Fed is done? No fun until the Fed is done. Um, We could be very much potentially making our way towards Jeff's base case, which would have been February 14th of of 2020, about 3,400 on the S&P. So last week we were talking about the CPI number, the Consumer Price Index, which came out on Friday, and we were concerned that it was going to be a market-moving number, especially if the uh, number had not improved substantially from the previously reported number, and that's exactly what happened. I think, interestingly enough, if you if you want to kind of speculate, I wonder if there were some folks that might have known about the number of – Thursday afternoon because the markets had a pretty hard sell down uh, in the last two, three hours of trading on Thursday. I think we were down uh, 600 points, something like that on Thursday. And then we went down another 800 points thereabouts on Friday. Uh, 
and the U.S. The, the inflation number was basically, I think, two or three tenths of a percent hotter than what was expected. But the market was the market was expecting it to cool off, and it didn't. And uh, the, the timing of this particular statistic couldn't be worse because it's the week before the Federal Reserve's uh, going to raise interest rates next week. There's no doubt you know, that it's guaranteed that they're going to raise rates. Uh, the question is, with this number that came out on Friday, and I know we had something very uh, uh, a big brokerage house on on Friday afternoon after the market closed, speculate that because of Friday's uh, higher-than-expected consumer price index number that the Fed might actually go three-quarters of a percent uh, this coming Wednesday when they raise rates, despite the fact that they have uh, telegraphed every which way you possibly can to for the markets to expect only a one-half of a percent uh, increase in interest rates come next Wednesday. I'm, I'm a little, I'd be very surprised that they did that based on the, just the history, just, just the, the history this, of the this, fact. This, this, well, not the, First the whole history. I wouldn't necessarily say the entire, the history of the entire federal reserve through many different governors, but this particular, uh, Governor Powell, he seems to be very, uh, very much in tune of wanting to telegraph to the market very, uh, very succinctly, very specifically, exactly what it is that the Federal Reserve plans to do. So I would be surprised if they've been telegraphing a half percent uh, rate increase come next Wednesday, turns it into three quarters of a percent. However, their uh, Whatever they say, after, you know, in the in the uh, news conference, may be more hawkish, and and that that hawkishness, I'm not sure if that's been priced priced into the market. Joe, you wanted to add. Well, something I think I think the market is is definitely factoring in. There's not going to be a pause, and everybody was talking about that. I think you can, you can pretty much bet there's going to be at least minimally of, of three fifty bit basis point raises in the next three periods. They can do that. I mean, I, well, I think and, that's baked in now. And, and I will say, you know, I'm the first to admit, I mean, we've been talking, I've been talking about that. I've had conversations with clients, had, you know, discussions here on the program that I, I felt that as we got to the Jackson Hole Symposium for the Federal Reserve, the meeting they have at the end of August, that they could be turning to a little bit more of a dovish tone and allowing quantitative tightening or their balance sheet roll off to do some of the heavy lifting in place of, of, continued interest rate increases. And after the CPI that came out on Friday, I'm definitely now leaning more in the camp that they're not going to be as dovish or or pivot to a dovish tone come the end of August and that a 50 basis point or a half a 1% increase to interest rates in September is definitely now on the table in my mind with this number that came out. So we still have core CPI. Now, core CPI is the primary inflation gauge that the Federal Reserve uses in assisting with their monetary policy decisions, but they can't turn a blind, they can't turn a blind eye to CPI. Now, core, core PCE, excuse me, core PCE strips out volatile food and fuel. But for every single one of our listeners, every time they go to the pump, every time they go to the grocery store, they're feeling inflation hitting them the hardest in their pocketbook, uh, for sure. 
And so the Fed cannot completely turn a blind eye on the consumer price index number that came out on Friday and solely focus on the core PCE, which is coming out on June 30th. Now, we saw that number peak in February of this year. So it's going to be real interesting on June 30th to see what the core PCE is going to be, to see if it's continued to tick lower stripping out volatile food and fuel. Yeah, well that's twenty that's three weeks from now. It's true. Yeah, it's still twenty it's so still twenty a lot, a lot days can away. happen. A lot can happen in the markets in, in the next three weeks. And I see we're coming up to the uh, end of this segment, so I'll pick it up on the other side. All right, well let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, just continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street last week, another very tough, brutal week. In fact, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has been negative 10 out of the last 11 weeks. And the last time that had occurred was during the Great Depression. Now, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that we're going into another Great Depression or the market conditions are going to deteriorate to that level. But it is a very interesting statistic to see 10 weeks in a row, 10 out of the last 11 weeks to see negative returns of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I mean, this has been an extremely tough, tough year. And if you have not been actively managing your portfolio, if you've been working with an advisor where the advice has been, stay the course, stay the course, it'll come back, you are feeling an extreme amount of pain in your portfolio. The, the other thing that came out, the University of Michigan does their study on uh, consumer sentiment, and the June read was the the most negative it's ever been. So, you know, you have a history of that statistic. On, in the history of that statistic. So Friday you had multiple things going on uh, that led to the, uh, the sell-off in the market. Well, but I will say this just as a contrarian on the consumer sentiment. I did read some statistics this past week when consumer sentiment is very negative. It can be a contrarian indicator. But And I mentioned that to Jeff just in portfolio strategy meetings. But when you only have the Fed, as Jeff has said on past shows or we've said on past shows, two interest rate increases that began, you know, the interest rate increase beginning in March, there's no fun until the Fed is done. So the, this negative consumer sentiment number that came out this past week, I don't think at this moment in time is going to be a contrarian indicator to start, you know, getting your buy list together because we still have further to go uh, until we get back into the sunshine. And, and again, the Fed has got at least two to three, possibly even more interest rate increases to get this monetary inflation under control. Kyle mentioned something about a buy list. I think the other thing you have to take into account, and we did this Friday as well, after the multiple emails going back and forth between the brothers, where I just said as a partisan observer, 
And Jeff, Jeff, Jeff's take was, hey, we may want to have a sell list together. So Friday, going into Friday, if things don't go the way that we would all like them to go with the CPI numbers, what are you prepared to do when the forecast looks even murkier? And I think that's something that you have to, that we don't talk about enough is, all right, here's your strategy. What do you want to buy when the market's down? But what are you prepared to do when things don't uh, turn out to be the way that, uh, the forecast doesn't look to be as sunny as you would like it to be? And I think that was a great point with the, you know, giving Jeff some credit here. Hey, we need to be ready to do something if this number is not where it needs to be. And you got to ask yourself, if you're dealing with an advisor, you're dealing with your 401K, you know, what is your strategy, you know, going forward when you have a, had a day like we had uh, this last Friday? Well, or even, or even like we've had this entire year. And when the CPI number came out on Friday, and, and we'd already had previous portfolio strategy meetings all throughout this past week of what our strategy, what our next move is going to be, because up until we got to Friday, we were still sitting at some of the lowest levels of equity exposure in our modern allocation models throughout the history of our firm. But after Friday's number came out, we decided that it's time to raise even more cash in the portfolio. And so we made the decision to eliminate a mid-cap index exchange-traded fund that we owned in every single allocation model uh, across all client accounts. And so depending upon which allocation model you were in, we raised anywhere between 5 to 7% in cash in those allocation models when we made those adjustments. I wanted to add one thing. And part of the discussion that Kyle and I were having about making this switch earlier when we brought Jeff in is if we're going to go from mid-cap, maybe we look at something that's small caps. Because if we do have a recession, all right, and we're raising that cash, small caps typically lead the way out of a recession. So I'm not saying we're going towards a recession, but we have some powder dry, and we were already talking about making some kind of preemptive move. So if we do get in that situation, we can put some money in an asset class that's going to outperform once you come out of a recession. Well, if if you've just been staying the course in your portfolio and you're sitting on extremely low levels of cash, you don't have any powder dry to take advantage of this market when it finally does make the turn, whether that's in a month, whether that's in four months, whether that's in six months, if you don't have the cash available. And if the only advice that you've been getting from whoever you're working with is, oh, just stay the course, the market comes back, remember, the deeper your hole goes, the more you have to make just to get back to where you started. This is why in market conditions like this, the best offense is the best defense. Defense is the best offense. So, you sound like Jeff. <laughs> so the, uh, the results of our sales on Friday took our asset allocations and our modern asset allocation portfolio to a, to a level that we have not had since before COVID, the at the lowest point of COVID, which was at the last week of March 2020, we were approximately 41% invested in stocks in a modern asset allocation portfolio. We're approximately now about 4% below that, thereabouts. Um, you have to go back to January of, of 20, uh, 2019, was the last time that we had stock allocations this low. And the reason that we had stock allocations low in January of 2019, if you recall, we had had a 20% correction in the fourth quarter of 2018 that was caused by the Federal Reserve talking about what? Raising interest rates. Interest rates. And, then what did they, and then what did they do? They 
promptly changed their tune at the first quarter of 20, 2019, and we promptly raised our asset allocations right back up to near our, our average 30-plus you know, year allocation to stocks. So, you know, at this point, you know, we're at 37% invested in stocks. Uh, you know, my what I've been talking about these last, well, I guess really about the last month, that I thought that the a worst-case scenario for the markets would be that all the major averages go back to their levels in mid-February of 2020, uh, right before COVID hit, which is really the end of March is when the markets bottomed out due to COVID. And for the S&P 500, that was a valuation of about 3,400 or exactly 500 points lower uh, than we are at the, as of the close of business on Friday. And if we were to go back to that point, 3,400 on the S&P, that would represent about a 28, 29% decline from the highs that we basically set at the beginning of 2022. And if we were to achieve that, that's still better than the average bear market. The average bear market going back to the Great Depression, and I think we've had almost 10 of them, the average decline to peak to trough uh, of, of the bear market is about is 40%. And the average length of time of a bear market peak to trough is approximately 15 months. Uh, you have to pick your point where you think the bear market began. Uh, but I, I, I continue to be in the camp. You know, Joe was talking about getting your buy list ready and all that. I think that's all fine and good. Uh, I don't think that uh, this there's going to be a, a, a buy point of, of real significance for many months to come. Are there going to be trading opportunities in the market? I think there are going to be. But, you know, history, I heard a, I heard a statistic from a well-known <clears throat> former hedge fund manager who said that there has never been a time in history when inflation greater than 5% was not defeated with or was defeated without a recession. Well, we're at 8.6% right now. So that's a lot of market history. And so I think the the probabilities of a recession are very high. And I think the market is reflecting that. But there's still a lot of space between here and those numbers that I'm talking about in March of, of 2020, pardon me, February of 2020. I'm basically just saying we give back everything in 2021 and everything that was made in 2020, and we just hit the reset button and go all the way back to where we were in February 2020. Now, the difference now is, is we didn't have eight, you know, 8.6% inflation in February 2020. We didn't have the only way. Yeah, and there's... The, the, the government can't do anything about the price of gas or the price of homes or the price of foods or the price of everything that's run up so much. Only the Fed has any power at all to have any effect on that, and they're going to do it by raising interest rates as far as the eye can see, and none of us know how far that how, how far it's going to take for them to go before they finally defeat inflation. But history has shown that it takes time. It's not over quickly. I know we're coming up here to the to the next break, so I'm going to stop here and pick it up on the other side.
Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we were talking about patience. And I know that was a point that I made at the very end of last weekend's show, at the end of our first hour, is that there's times where you just have to be patient, where defense is the best offense, And I know that we've talked, I mean, as many years as we've been doing this program where hope is a bad four-letter word when it comes to investing. And I made the point earlier in the program that if you're working with an advisor that's just telling you to stay the course and the markets always recover and all the different sales points just to keep you fully invested or keep you in an asset allocation model that's completely inappropriate for your risk capacity, which is primarily determined based on your age, then you really need to start asking yourself why you're working with this person. Because the key to maintaining long-term wealth and building long-term wealth. It's not exactly always grabbing every single percentage point gain on the upside when the markets are going up, when we're in a raging bull market. It's about keeping your holes shallower when the markets make a turn like we have seen this year. It's about taking profits. It's about moving cash to the sidelines, making adjustments in your strategy, and being able to pivot. You know, that is that is what active asset management is about, is making active changes, active pivots, and not just staying the course. And that is a key to keeping your hole shallower. Let's just remind everyone, if you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make 100% just to get back to where you started. So it could take you years to recover if you don't maintain a shallower hole. And you have to maintain that shallow hole by active management and appropriate asset allocation and security selection. Yeah, one of the things that our listeners, if they're working with someone with the from the legacy distribution system, and you can name any of the big brokerage houses you want there, is if you're especially if you're invested in mutual funds inside your account. Understand that in many cases, there is a revenue sharing agreement between uh, the mutual fund company and the broker uh, that is holding the assets there where there's a vested interest for the broker to keep you in uh, particular investments so that they could capture some revenue. And so this this notion of going out and selling you on, well, you just got to stay the course, you got to take the good with the bad, and you got to have a long-term perspective, there's also a revenue uh, element to that for the brokerage house. Because if, if, if they let you sell down to 35% stocks like we have and you're sitting in cash or you're sitting in other instruments where they don't have any revenue sharing, that costs the broker money. 
It's costing you. It's costing you money too to stay yeah. in there. Yeah, they have, a, they, like have a built, they have a built-in incentive to right. keep you fully invested. Now, I'm already so, starting to hear from prospective clients, and I'm sorry, Joe, to interrupt you because I just want to give something anecdotally, then I'll come back to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm already starting to receive phone calls from people working with, with folks in the legacy distribution sy- system that are down 25 30%. All, I'm starting to hear from them. And I know exactly what they're invested in. They were – all in large cap growth mutual funds. You know, they were literally 100% invested in large cap growth mutual funds. And after three years, consecutive years of great returns, investors can get lulled into a sense of, oh, I'll, you know, this is just another correction. It'll correct, it'll correct itself, It'll be all right. Well, this is not a correction. This is a big, hairy, smelly, Bear market, and it's not over. Bear markets don't end after a handful of months. The, what I say the average was 15 months, and this one's a little different than some of the recent ones we've had because we got the Fed not on our side, and we got inflation not on our side, and we got political politicians nowhere to be found in terms well, of solutions. How about right? complete ineptitude? Yeah. Complete ineptitude. Right. So I just had to throw that in there for you, Kyle. Joe, go ahead. Well, in, in dovetailing off what Jeff was talking about at the Legacy Distribution Channel, and I was doing a review with a client this week, and you know we're reviewing his wife's 401k account. And just because it's a big company and it's a very reputable company, in this case she had defaulted into what they call a qualified default investment alternative, and it put into a target date fund. All right, and I'm not saying – Target dates are evil or bad. They're not as evil as an annuity. If you've ever heard one of the shows and we talk about annuities, but in this case, there are some target date funds that are better than others. And in this case, you know, the husband was in a moderate allocation with us. She was in a very similar allocation and a target date. And the difference in the, the rate of return as far as year to date was, you know, we were, we were about two and a half percent ahead uh, of where the target date was. Meaning if you do, have, if you're, participating in a 401k and you're contributing and th- and yes, they're working with an advisor. So I'm like, this is what we could do to fix the situation. Make sure you take a look at your statement, see what your options are. There may be some better ones. There may be a balance fund in there. That's a better option and performs a lot better on the downside than a target date. Or obviously you can call us and we'll do a, a portfolio review for you. But if you are working with an advisor, you know, make sure you're doing a review with that advisor and looking at your 401k statement and making sure it's working in conjunction with what your uh, your plan is for retirement. You know, Especially if you're working if you're with married. if you're working with an advisor, a real advisor that's, that's supposed to be managing your money, and they haven't made any changes this year, what's going on? There has to have been some kind of change this year in a portfolio. If nothing has happened, there is something very seriously wrong. Yes, Kyle. Well, well, the, the 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 problem when you with the legacy distribution systems, they so much relied in this day and age on computer generated asset allocation models based on modern portfolio theory or Monte Carlo analysis. All these different portfolio theories that they put into an algorithm and then the algorithm spits out the asset allocation model of where assets should be divided and which asset class is based on the questionnaire that you filled out of what your risk tolerance is. 
and then it spits out the results saying you have this percentage overseas, this percentage in emerging markets based on all this extrapolated historical return data. But but the but the problem is is that when you have market conditions like this and the the advice to stay the course come come hell or high water we're just going to stay on this path and we're going to keep this emerging markets in your portfolio we're going to keep this international exposure we're going to keep this asset class in and we're going to keep you at a 70 30 allocation because based on your risk tolerance and based on this uh Monte Carlo analysis, this is where you should be, and it'll all recover. It might take you a couple of years to recover, but eventually you will recover. Well, that's not any big resting piece of advice for someone who just retired or who's five or ten years into retirement and they're living off of their income and they see the value of their nest egg reduced by 25 or 30 percent or, God forbid, more. That that's not that's not helping them sleep well at night in these types of market conditions. Go ahead, Joe. Who wants to go oh, first, Joe or Jeff? <laughs> I got this. I'm going to eat. Let the little bear eat. So, anyways, one of the things that we also stress is we have a team approach. When you look at something in the legacy system, meaning a target date, it might even be a a, a asset allocation, a growth, a moderate or conservative. Go online, do some research, and see how much experience that team has. If they're if they're not if they're using a computer model like Kyle's talking about, it's probably because they don't have a bunch of experience. And how many bear markets have they been through? I mean, now we can comfortably say anybody in the last three and a half years has been through a pandemic. They've gone through what they're going through right now, but maybe they haven't gone through the financial crisis. So they're going to rely on a computer model to get them where they want to be. And it's not it, money management is an art. It's it's not always. Uh, it's not always science. It's yes, a combination it's of both art and science. Yep. And there is, I guarantee you, these Monte Carlo analysis created asset allocation models don't contain a security that, that resets its income every month as interest rates go higher. I guarantee you those Monte Carlo analysis created list of securities don't include one that profits when interest rates go higher on long bonds. And I bet you there's not any security in there that's rolling treasury bills, 90-day treasury bills to increase income in the portfolio. I guarantee you none of that's there. This is a very unusual year, and I heard this statistic. I'm not sure if I heard it right, so ladies and gentlemen, please give me some levity here. (laughs) I thought I heard someone say that it's only happened five times in the history of the markets where bonds and stocks were down in the same year. That's hundreds of years I, yeah. I heard a similar statistic Friday morning, and I think you're pretty dead on, Jeff. I think it was four or five times in yeah. history where we've had this level of negative bond returns you know, and any, stock any, returns yeah, neg- at the same yeah, negative, year. Yeah, any, any, I mean, it's like so unusual. You've got to think so far out of the box in a year like this. And what are we this year in fixed income? Positive. Positive. <laughs> And depending upon when the client started with us, I've seen some newer clients that are, you know, up almost 4% in their fixed income, basically absolutely devastating and killing any bond index that we could compare them to that some are down double digits in the negative and some clients up 2 3% in their portfolio. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you, Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're listening to the last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, just talking about asset allocation, advisors, or lack of of active management that a lot of advisors have across this country, revenue sharing agreements, and the incentive that's built in to keep you fully invested at all times when this is the type of year where being fully invested is not your best course. And there are times where you have to put you have to pick up that shield and shield your portfolio and put your sword down. That's when defense is on and offense is on the back burner. Now, there will be a point in time in this market where it's time to put the shield down and pick up that sword and go on the offense. But as we've been talking about on the last several weeks shows, this is where you have to be patient. But you also have to have powder dry ready to take advantage of it. And I know Joe this past week doing a portfolio review for an existing client whose spouse is currently in a 401k who is using a a qualified um, default investment option, QDIA, in her 401k. Now, we've got a blog post that's going to be coming out in June that was kind of written from past educational shows that we do in the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program. And it really pertains to any of our listeners that are still working for an employer, participating in their 401k, that are over the age of 59 and a half. Once you reach that age of 59 and a half, you have the ability to do what's called an in-service distribution rollover where you can roll your nest egg out, your assets in your 401k into a self-directed IRA that where you could actually work with a professional money manager like ourselves to have it actively managed. And years like this, like Jeff said earlier in the program, The last three years, there was a lot of complacency built in. We saw double-digit returns in the S&P 500, you know, be be long or be wrong type market conditions, whereas a good, nice, strong bull market past the the COVID pullback in March of – February, March of 2020, but you had three – consecutive years of double-digit return in the S&P. Everyone was feeling comfortable. Everyone was happy. Everyone saw the nice big balances in their investment accounts and their 401ks, and they thought, ah, this is great, making money hand over fist. Then we have years like this where it's a real wake-up call. It's a real bucket of cold water on all investors' heads. And for folks in 401ks that have been saving for 20, 25, 30 years that have amassed a substantial nest egg that's going to be the main funding source of their retirement, having years like this where all the management is on their shoulders as the participant in the 401k and they're over the age of 59 and a half, most 401k participants are unaware 
of the ability to do an in-service distribution and hire a professional asset management team to do the heavy lifting, to be watching it, to be that team on the wall making the day-to-day decisions with your assets while you're still able to participate and still work and participate in your 401k, but now you're zeroing your balance out. So it's a way to protect your nest egg. But when I have this conversation with prospective clients, they're completely unaware of the ability to be able to do an in-service distribution. And what I have to remind them is that the 401k provider, the company that is managing the 401k, is not going to be going out and advertising to participants that, hey, when you're 59 and a half, you could take assets away from us. You can move assets out of the 401k, get it full-time professional managed by a team of asset managers that we don't get to collect fees on. They're not going to go around and advertise that. So when I talk to prospective clients, it's a real shock that they have the ability to do that. And so we use our radio show as a platform, again, to provide education that if you are over the age of 59 and a half, you can take an in-service distribution and roll that over into an IRA and hire a professional asset management team to manage it for you. And it is a not, it is not a taxable event to do that rollover. Yeah, Jeff. There are multiple reasons to look at that. Fees, you have to make sure you compare fees. But I think the one thing that we've seen, especially this year, there, there are certain things you just cannot get in a 401k that you can uh, if you're using uh, a money manager. And there's, th- there's things in our individually managed accounts and our asset builders, uh, especially on the fixed income side, that you simply cannot get in a 401k plan, especially when rates are going up, which means bond prices are going down, you know, and there's, that's one of the key things is do you have the full array of investments available for you when you need it the most, when you've accumulated that nest egg and you can't afford to be down 20, 30%. Well, and that's that's a great point, Joe, because 401ks have limitations on the investment options that they can offer to plan participants. You know, they're they're a lot of times pretty much relegated to mutual funds. And like Joe was saying, on the fixed income side, and as Jeff said earlier in the program, you know, we're utilizing a 7- to 10-year treasury short position in our portfolio. That's not available in a 401k floating rate bond that resets its income every single month. Again, not available in a 401k. Rolling a 90-day treasury bill. Again, not in a 401k. So 401ks are a little more restricted of the investment options and the creativity that can be created in a portfolio versus working with a registered investment advisor like ourselves who have all the creativity in the world. And by the way, have zero revenue sharing agreements with any outside mutual fund family or exchange traded fund. Investments make it into our portfolios for one reason and one reason only, because they're the best of breed and they have run through our gauntlet, our research, our analysis of almost 80 years of combined experience as asset managers in this industry, they make it based on their merit and their merit only, not because they're sharing revenue with us. This is the other reason why our clients in a moderate allocation are sitting 35% in stocks because it's our job to play defense in these kind of market conditions and protect our clients' bottom line and keep their hole shallower so when this market finally does make the turn, we have plenty of dry powder that we could take advantage of some fantastic buying opportunities when that time comes. 
And we don't know exactly when that time comes, but we are vigilant each and every day watching the markets like a hawk to make that determination of putting that money back to work. Jeff, one thing you want to add? Next week's economic news, producer prices on Tuesday, retail sales, the FOMC statement is coming on Wednesday, housing starts on Thursday, industrial productions and leading economic indicators on Friday. A lot of economic news next week. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Yeah, and, and, and the Fed's going to be raising rates a half of 1% on the 15th. And so we'll see the press conference. We'll hear what their tone will be and how the market is going to react to that. But, again, as Jeff said, it's going to be bumpy, as we've said on past programs. It's going to be a very volatile uh, summer, to say the least. So buckle up. And if you're not getting your portfolio actively managed, you need to ask yourself why and maybe pick up the phone and give us a call, 800-275-2162. With that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. We'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us here at Davidson Capital Management, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. Now, if you missed the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage. So in our second hour of this weekend's program, again, like to use the second hour to go into investor education and the topic for this second hour is really a topic that needs to be on an on a rotation each and every month because it is such a critical topic for investors all across the country to learn, understand and realize when it comes to the point of them selecting an investment professional to work with and what they need to be looking for and how they can research and find out the background and education levels and licensing levels of the investment professional that they're planning on working with. Now, a topic that we have discussed on past MoneyWise programs, and I feel like we've been talking about this for years. I think from the beginning of the show. Well, I know that we've talked about this particular subject, again, the differences between a broker, a stockbroker, and a registered investment advisor, but in particular the the research and analysis that the Securities and Exchange Commission is doing when it comes down to the fiduciary standard. Uh, and later on in this hour, 
I'm going to go into the definition of the fiduciary standard and what stockbrokers, what laws and directions they have to follow working with their clients and what what laws and rules and regulations that registered investment advisors like us here at Davidson Capital Management have to follow, and in particular revolving around this fiduciary standard, because this has been a topic that has been discussed at length really post-financial crisis. Um, And the Dodd-Frank Act, which took effect in 2010, put in uh, an an actual law that goes into the ability of the Securities and Exchange Commission to create a uniform fiduciary standard, which has yet to actually take place uh, across the financial service industry. And an article that came out of the Wall Street Journal this past week uh, titled SEC uh, Head Backs Fiduciary Standards for Brokers and Advisors again goes into Mary Jo White, who's the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, you know, really wanting tighter standards uh, for financial advisors who recommend stocks, bonds, and mutual funds to individual investors. And for any longtime listener of this program, they understand that your traditional stockbroker is on the financial sales side of the financial service industry, where registered investment advisors like us at Davidson Capital Management are on the asset management side of the industry. Well, let me say something right here, Kyle. The word advisor, I think, confuses the man in the street. In the old days, when I was a broker, we were either a broker or a registered representative. Advisors, financial advisors or investment advisors, by definition, were registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. What has happened is the word registered representative or broker has been dropped by Wall Street, and they have picked up various terms which they really like to use, whether it's a wealth manager or a they like financial to use advisor. Financial advisor, but they obviously don't say registered financial advisor because they wouldn't be working for a brokerage firm or registered few. investment advisor. So, so, so you the word advisor confuses the investor in the street. It, it it does, and again, I don't. I mean, I I would hate to say that this is just strictly marketing, but it really comes down it is to marketing. marketing. It it does come down to marketing, and it's to convey the idea to a potential to a prospective client that the powers and abilities of that investment professional are above and beyond what they actually legally can do or what they normally do do with you know when it comes to working with their clients and you know last month the labor department is planning its own set of rules to tighten standards on financial professionals who advise on retirement account investments such as 401k's and of course and, president yes, obama, president obama has endorsed these these we haven't had a president get involved and 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 so he came out several months back talking about wanting to have these new standards and and you know really the department of labor is going and saying well hey we're putting in these new standards securities and exchange commission why don't you put these standards in as well and mary jo white the head of the sec makes it very clear that you know we're two different regulatory agencies and that we have our own processes and procedures that we have to go through in order to put this into place but that she had, she had stated that she has been intensely studying this fiduciary standard regulations 
and what exactly the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to do. Now, the fact that she's been intensely studying this for just the last few months, I feel like we've been talking about this for years. So why is it just being intensely studied over just the last couple of months? Well, maybe before we put our listeners totally to sleep using these fiduciary words and whatnot, why not give an example of why this should be something our listeners should be listening to? Well, I'm going to have to get to that example after we come back from the commercial break because the the, the story the no you didn't check the clock the 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 real world example I'm going to give and and it really could apply to some of our a lot of our listeners that are listening right now of what you might run into when it comes to that point in time where you're ready to hop on that horse and ride off into the retirement sunset and you start going out and interviewing investment professionals that you might be planning or or looking to work with. And as we've always advocated on this show, don't get caught behind the eight ball when it comes time to prepare and plan for your retirement as far as the investment professional that you're going to work with. You need to start the interview process six to eight months out, even 12 months out, just so you get all of your ducks in a row because the last thing we would want to see happen, and we've seen this time and time again talking and working with prospective clients coming into Davidson Capital Management, is that they waited to the last minute, they got thrown a sales pitch at them, that sounded so good to be true, too good to be true, but they signed on that dotted line and wound up getting involved in something that they wound up later regretting because they didn't do their proper due diligence uh, and doing the research it, It's re- research that's required before you hire an investment professional. So when we come back from the commercial break, I'll give you an example of going into the differences between suitability and fiduciary standard, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education, um, and again, I, I know we were talking during commercial break that some of this subject matter might be seen dry and boring, but this hour is so critical for any investor to listen and to learn from to protect themselves, to protect the retirement nest egg that they have worked 30, 35, 40, 45 years to build to not get taken by potentially unscrupulous investment professionals that are looking to make a very large and quick buck and big commission and to understand the rules and regulations that folks follow in the financial service industry and how they vary so greatly between that of your traditional stockbroker versus a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management. So I wanted to give you a real-world example, and this comes from one of our clients, this real-world example. Um, Several years ago, we had met, I mean several, I mean we're talking six, seven years ago, met with a prospective client 
who was going to be retiring and had, or, excuse me, had already retired, had purchased an annuity, very sizable annuity, and the annuity was getting ready to be outside of its surrender penalty period. And they were looking to do something else with it. So they met with us, gave them you know, the, whole, the whole spiel, uh, the whole presentation as we do with any prospective client after we did a, a portfolio review and analysis for this prospective client. And I remember distinctly remembering in the meeting I, I told him, whatever you do, whether you hire us or you hire somebody else, do not buy another annuity. And he said, gotcha, got it, understand. So this prospective client goes, leaves our office, follow up with them, don't hear back from them. About 16 months later, we get a phone call, and it was this prospective client. And he said, I need to come in and talk to you. Okay, comes in. Before I even round my desk, he says, you're probably wondering why I'm here. I'm like, sure, why are you here? He said, well... I should have listened to your advice, and I didn't. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look. And he hands me his paperwork, and what he had bought was another annuity, a variable annuity. And I asked him why. You know, give me the background as to what you did. He said, I called two stockbrokers in New York City. I called two stockbrokers in the state of Florida. I called a stockbroker in San Antonio, Texas. And all five of these stockbrokers all recommended an annuity to me. And he said, after talking to all five of these different brokers and different offices and different firms and different states, he thought to himself, well, if all five of these brokers are recommending annuity, then this is the direction that I need to go. This is what I should be buying because these five folks don't know each other from Adam and they don't even work for the same firms, but that's what they're recommending. And, of course, when I relayed to the prospective client who then became a client that the reason why they were recommending it is because it pays the highest commission on Wall Street and explained to him round about the six-figure commission that was paid to these brokers, I just about saw his jaw hit the floor. Well, he wanted a guaranteed stream of income. That is what he wanted. It was important to him to have a monthly check. So when he went to these brokers and said, I want a guaranteed stream of income that I know it's coming in, well, the brokers basically have two choices, both of which are suitable for him. Choice number one is an annuity. Whichever insurance company that brokerage firm uses, they will select that annuity, that annuity will pay the most generous commission there is for a broker on Wall Street today, as far as we know. The other choice to provide guaranteed income is a government bond. In fact, it's the only investment, not the annuity, that can truly say, say it provides a guaranteed stream of income. The only difference being the income can vary because government bond rates will vary with maturities. For the broker, however, the commission on the same portfolio is about 98 99% less than what he would be getting personally in the annuity. That is why five different brokers from five different firms in four different states all had the same example. They were both 
suitable investments, and the broker only has to do what is suitable. And that is the whole point of this second hour is to relay real-world examples of the difference between suitability and fiduciary. And just to kind of go into that, you know, what is a fiduciary? A fiduciary is someone that manages money for the benefit of, of another called a beneficiary. A fiduciary is bound by law to place the interest of its beneficiary first before the fiduciary's own interest. Now, stockbrokers, also called registered representatives, account executives, financial well, advisors, uh, wealth managers, are not fiduciaries. Even though they have engaged in high visibility advertising to portray themselves as full service investment advisors, it's real easy. Ask your stockbroker if he or she holds a Series 7 securities license. If he or she does, then it's, it's probable that they aren't a fiduciary. And you have to understand, a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management are subject to the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, which makes us a fiduciary. Okay? And it's so, so important. I mean, we cannot stress this enough to understand the difference. In the same example, a choice for us between an annuity and a portfolio of government bonds as a fiduciary, we have to go with the government bonds because that is what is best for the client, not what is suitable, what is best as a fiduciary. And a non-fiduciary stockbroker follows only the suitability standard, which doesn't require a stockbroker to place the interest of their client ahead of their own. Under the non-fiduciary suitability standard, a stockbroker need provide only suitable advice to it, to their clients, even if the stockbroker knows that the advice is not in the client's best interest. A non-fiduciary stockbroker, you know, bottom line, they have a fiduciary duty to their broker-dealer, to who employs them. That is who they have a fiduciary duty to, not their client. And I can tell you, Dad, when I sit down with prospective clients and I tell them that financial salespeople, stockbrokers, are not required by law to put their interest in front of their own, it blows their mind. But what's what's unfortunate is that individual investors don't understand that there is a difference between what registered investment advisors do, what we do here, versus what a broker does. It was the manager at Bayesian Company that I worked for as a manager that led me to become a registered investment advisor. That you worked as a broker for. Yes, I worked as a broker for them. One day I was analyzing the bond market. I was sitting at my desk looking at this chart, that chart, and he came up to me and said, John, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to figure out what the long bond's doing. And he said, we don't pay you to be an analyst. We pay you to sell securities. We're not in the business of analyzing markets, managing money. We're in the business of selling securities. The light went on in my head, and from that day forward, I chose the path of becoming a registered investment advisor. And it all went back to the manager at a brokerage firm and a young broker trying to understand and help his clients. And a registered investment advisor must follow the trust standard, and it's the highest known in law, which requires 
an RIA, a registered investment advisor, to place the interest of their client ahead of their own to fulfill the critical fiduciary duties of trust and confidence. So, again, that's that trust standard versus the suitability standard. And this is why when you go to the big name brand broker-dealers, I mean, you can list them off. There's commercials all over the place, all over television, radio, the computer for these for these firms. You know, you have to understand they're in the job of asset collection, asset harvesting to sell investment products. And it's also important when we come back from the bottom of the hour break to, to go into a lot of the proprietary relationships that are in place with your traditional broker-dealers and mutual fund families and other investment product providers to understand. And really, I think what also led a lot of investors to, to have received advice during the financial crisis of staying the course and why that advice came so much so from your traditional broker-dealer or stock brokerage-type firms. And so we'll get into that when we come back from the, from the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing discussing that critical difference between your traditional stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, um, I wanted to talk briefly about the proprietary relationships that brokerage firms have. Now, prior to joining Davidson Capital Management, I spent a few years uh, as a mutual fund wholesaler where my clients as a mutual fund wholesaler were stockbrokers. I sold my company's loaded mutual funds to brokers in the state of Texas because that was part of my territory in the state of Texas. And it's important for investors to understand of these relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms. Um, and every single mutual fund family, you're going to have a mutual fund family that has some great mutual funds, some decent to average mutual funds, and some not so good mutual funds. Dogs. Dogs. Poor performing mutual funds. But a lot of these brokerage offices have very limited shelf space of the mutual fund families that they want really prominently displayed in the office. And sometimes in order to get shelf space, there are marketing fees that are paid and things of that nature. Now, again, this was in the late 90s, early 2000s when I did the, you know, when I was a mutual fund wholesaler. Um, it's important to understand that a mutual fund wholesaler's job is to gain a relationship with a broker and to educate them about the mutual funds that are being made available by the fund family and sell them on why they need to be selling these funds to the clients. But it's also important for clients to understand that some mutual fund families have revenue sharing agreements with brokerage firms where the brokerage firm collects a portion of the management fee being charged 
by the mutual fund family for those clients' assets to be in there. And really the point I'm working towards is getting back to the financial crisis. Because when we're meeting with prospective clients after the financial crisis, we always, when we do our portfolio reviews and analysis, I always ask, well, what was the advice and guidance that you were receiving from your investment professional, from your broker during the financial crisis? And 10 out of 10 times, the advice was stay the course. And they were, the prospective client would question me, you know, why was the advice stay the course? Why wasn't it like, let's get a little more liquid. Let's, let's get some money on the sidelines. Let's get some cash on hand. And I really, and again, in, in, in my 17 years of experience, what my mind leads back to is revenue sharing agreements that brokerage firms have with mutual fund families and other financial product providers that if assets are not in these mutual funds, then there's no revenue to share because there's no management fee being generated by the mutual fund family. So if advice coming from brokers to their clients was let's sell, let's get more liquid, then these brokerage firms could be slicing their own throat and the revenues that they're that, that are being driven that they're being driven off of these mutual fund holdings by their clients at these brokerage firms. So it would have seriously cut into their bottom line if it was let's get out, let's get liquid because now there's no revenue coming from these outside mutual fund families. And it's important for investors to understand. And I can tell you that when we do portfolio reviews and analysis, and particularly there's certain brokerage firms that have affinity, that have love for very particular mutual fund families. Well, you can basically name a firm, and we will name without even, look, without even looking at the portfolio, not even seeing the portfolio, we could bet the potential client you own one of these funds from a particular fund family just because we've been doing this you know in our 26th year of business and we've reviewed quite a few portfolios in those 26 years we see a pattern we see a trend and because of my inside intimate knowledge of the relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms it's no surprise now Listeners are probably, you know, y'all are probably hearing this on the radio thinking, well, gosh, how can brokerage firms do this? It's suitable. They're in It's suitable. It's suitable. It's, it's suitable. It, it, it's They're suitable. not violating any rules. They're not violating any laws. That is the whole point of this second hour is so you understand. There's a great commercial on right now. I love this commercial because it really sums up what we're talking about. And it's these two gentlemen. And he's giving the guidance to the prospective client, and he hands him this giant grain of salt. <laughs> and he hands it to him, and he says, you know, the, we're going to be in this fund, this fund, this fund. And he says, oh, by the way, I get paid a higher commission and higher trailing fees on this because of our proprietary relationship, you know, with these with these funds. And he said, well, you know, shouldn't that be illegal? And he's kind of like... Yeah, I, well, no. no, not really. I mean, he kind of has a look like, well, I guess you got a point. But no, it's not illegal. But I'm going to be making higher higher fees off this proprietary relationship that we have with these fund families. And I love that commercial. It's just started playing, so I'm sure our listeners have seen this commercial. Pay attention to it because that is what we are talking about. Well, you know, there's another commercial that the financial consultants are doing in which they hired a DJ in Dallas 
and they cleaned him up, got rid of his dreadlocks. He's really a nice-looking guy. Well, no, that's talking about financial planners, and I have a whole other bone to pick about financial planners, Yes, but, which I'll get to. But within this, he looks the part. They put him in a he nice office. He sounds the op- part. They put him in a nice office, you know, glass, uh, everything you would want. He's got the columns. He's got the suit. He's smooth-talking. We, and, and he asked him, would you give me the account? Well, sure we would. And he said, would you like to know what my experience is? And, and I'm a my, DJ. You know, I'm a DJ. And he shows pictures of him, you know, dancing around. So, uh, you know, again, but I think that also comes back to another article, which we're not going to talk about on this weekend show, about just the number of, don't, don't let the number of accolades and awards received by a financial <laughs> professional dazzle you, think, making you think that they have a higher level of expertise or experience and experience than they actually do because again it's all marketing um but you know i will i do want to talk about uh financial planners before we go to the next break because this is something we've also talked about on the show and financial planning has has really become a a really booming industry and there are designations a certified financial planner which is a very difficult designation to get you have to go through a lot of education a lot of test taking it is not easy to do plus you have to have industry experience to get the CFP designation and we're not taking away from that because it's a very prestigious designation it is but you have to be very very careful how this potential financial how this financial planner is getting compensated because we have seen situations where financial planners are using this financial planning designation as another marketing tool as a way to sell investment products as a way to generate commissions so you have to ask as the prospective client how are you getting compensated are you fee only? Are you fee based financial planner? Or are you selling investment products where you're earning a commission? And you need to ask those questions. And if they're not giving you a straight answer, that is when you slowly get up from the table and you walk away. You, as a prospective client, have the right to ask a straight, straight up question and get a straight up answer. Ask them, do you have your Series 7? If they have a Series 7, pretty good chance they're compensated on commissions and that's when with the whole situation with suitability versus the fiduciary standard if they say well i have my 65 which is to be a, a registered investment advisor representative without a series 7 or a series 6 then they be leaning more on the side of fee only and of course at davidson capital management we are completely fee only registered investment advisors, which puts us on the same side of the table as our clients because the more money we make for our clients, the more money we make for ourselves, and vice versa. We are not compensated based on commission. And being a registered investment advisor means that we are fiduciaries. We have to follow the trust standard required by law to put our client's interest in front of our own. But you have to understand these differences when you sit down with a financial professional to understand who you're potentially getting involved in and don't let a lot of letters after their name on the card dazzle you into thinking that they have a level of expertise and knowledge that they may or may not have. You have to vet them out yourself. You have to dig deeper. As I have said, going back to 2005 on this radio show, 
And, you know, what we've also talked about on the show is the way that you can look up your investment professional that you're thinking of working with or who you're, or who you are currently working with simply by going to Google, typing in the Google search broker check, and that will take you to the FINRA website. And FINRA is the regulatory body overseeing the really the financial sales arm of the financial service industry. You type in your broker's name and it will go to their report. Now, the one thing to keep in mind, and I've seen this, is that we've seen brokers starting to use middle names or different first names to try to get around potential bad reports. I've noticed this, that they make these name changes so you can't track them down as easily, but you still have that tool available as a prospective client to go in and do research on that investment professional to find out if they have any regulatory issues, any customer complaints, what those complaints are involved, to see if they have any personal bankruptcy or personal financial issues, or if they've had any criminal misdemeanor or felony charges in their lifetime. So utilize the tools that are available. Well, we've got to take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to commercial break, again, spending the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program talking about, again, the critical differences between a stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, and, and, and also at the beginning of the hour talking about how the SEC is still in the process of studying to find out whether they're going to hold traditional stockbrokers to the same fiduciary standard as we are held to as a registered investment advisor here at Davidson Capital Management. And I have a feeling this is going to be an ongoing saga that's never going to reach a conclusion um, because, again, I think that this would put a serious uh, dampening on revenues at traditional broker-dealer firms across this country. So I'm definitely not holding my breath. The fact that this that this provision or, or the discussion of adding this provision has been around since the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, and we're now in 2015, and the head of the SEC, Mary Jo White, has only been intensely studying it for the last few months. I'm not holding my breath that no, anything is going to get done. To so what you have to do as an investor, you have to arm yourself with knowledge. That's one reason why we have the Money Wise program and why we're in our 10th year of doing it. But you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to be an educated consumer. And before you sign on that line as dotted, you have to utilize all the the research capabilities that are available on the Internet. And as we went to the last commercial break, talking about utilizing the FINRA website, which is the regulatory body of broker-dealers, of stockbrokers, 
and doing what's called a broker check. By Googling, broker check takes you right to the website. You type in your broker's name, and you pull up their permanent record. I always jokingly <laughs> say, you know, in high the school, yeah, the in, in high school you've got your permanent record. Well, in the financial service industry, whether you're a registered investment advisor like we are, or if you're a or if you're a stockbroker, we all have a permanent record called our U4. And it tracks you throughout your entire career. So if you've had run-ins with client complaints, customer complaints, and what those complaints are, to see that if you've actually gotten sued by a former client and actually had to pay restitution, or if the brokerage firm or firm you worked for had to pay restitution. It talks about if you've had any kind of bankruptcies or personal financial uh, issues that is also reported in the U4 on broker check, or if you've had any misdemeanor or felony charges. And, I mean, I know for a fact, just from doing my own research, that we have an insurance salesman here in town that avoided a potential 10 years in prison on a drug felony charge <laughs> because of illegal search and seizure. I found this on broker check. I found this on broker check. I, I found a, a gentleman here in town, we, a prospective client, was getting ready to hand over over a million dollars of his hard work, his life savings, and this financial professional had filed bankruptcy three separate times. Now, I understand people run into financial difficulties. You know, I'm not making light of that. But if you've run into a situation where you've had to file bankruptcy multiple times and you can't keep your own financial house in order... I, as a prospective client, I would be a little nervous turning over my life savings to someone who's a financial professional who can't keep their own financial house in order. There's just no reason for people to do this when this is available to them. That's right. And, and, and again, you're going to go and, and look up financial professionals that have a very clean record, but it's also going to show you what licensing they have. Going back to this, that if they have a Series 7, that their compensation can come in the form of commissions. So again, knowing that they're on the financial sales side of the business. Um, you know, for us at Davidson Capital Management, having our Series 65 as a registered representative of a registered investment advisory firm, we follow the fiduciary standard that we have to follow as an RIA. I haven't seen numbers. I know once upon a time, I think we quoted there's 15,000 of us and there's over 300,000 of them. Closer to 400,000. I mean, Registered investment advisors is a very small minority in the financial service industry. So you're more often than not going to run into a traditional stockbroker than you are a registered investment advisor. Now, I, I want to just kind of give this blanket disclosure. You know, we're not using this hour to beat up on brokers. There are a lot of good, hardworking brokers. In fact, one of my friends is a broker that, that are, do right by their client, that do a good job. But you have to understand as an investor what type of an investor you are. If you're the type of an investor that likes to call the shots of what's bought and what's sold in your portfolio and when that occurs, you're best suited to work with a stockbroker. Though that's really what they're there for. They, you can ask them questions. They can give you some advice and guidance. You can bounce investment ideas off of them. They can give you their personal opinion, and they can process the trades for you. If you're the type of investor that doesn't 
want to have that control, that wants to turn over the decision-making on a day-to-day basis to the investment professional, then you're best suited to work with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management. And you have to understand the brokerage industry over the last 15-plus years, because of the pressure they've been feeling from registered investment advisory firms like us, have developed programs to give you that active asset management from either themselves at the brokerage firm or an outside money management firm that they partner with. But you have to understand that your broker is not the person that is making those day-to-day decisions. Your broker is nothing more than the middleman of that transaction. They're getting paid a fee to steer your money to an outside asset manager or to the home office to an asset management group that you will have no relationship with, they won't know you from Adam, and you're paying an extra layer of fees on top to have your broker being nothing more than a mouthpiece in this transaction where instead of working directly with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management, you eliminate that extra layer of fees. You go directly to the source and you have that personal relationship with that investment professional who's making those day-to-day decisions with your assets. You can look at them in the white of their eyes when you're working directly with a registered investment advisor. So you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to understand those critical differences between a broker and a registered investment advisor and the differences between what is suitable, what brokers follow, and what registered investment advisors follow as a fiduciary and following that fiduciary standard. And if any of our listeners want more education, do not hesitate to pick up the phone and give us a call at Davidson Capital Management at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.